Welcome to the Learning Exchange, where L&D and HR professionals can dig deep into the ever-changing landscape of online learning and talent development. Each episode, we'll explore innovations in learning and discuss best practices with special guests from inside and outside the learning world. L&D is evolving, and the Learning Exchange is here to help you keep pace. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Learning Exchange. On this episode, virtual training environment tips and considerations. Every month, I read through my TD magazine when it arrives, and this month, I uh, was particularly captivated by an article that honed in on virtual training environments. Now, the information in total wasn't necessarily new information, but I was really captivated by the way the information was presented, and so I felt why not share a little summary of that with you? Uh, This article really honed in on the personas that we tend to find in our virtual training environments, as well as some techniques that can help mitigate challenges brought by these personas and keeping all of your learners engaged. Now, over the course of this article, it did hone in on eight very specific personas, and I will talk about each one of them in just a moment. If you're like me, virtual training is not new. You've been part of virtual training and webinars and web conferences for uh, at least five to 10 years, if not longer. However, what is new is that we are finding so much fatigue from our learners and our employees in general when it comes to engaging on web for pretty much anything. So with that, I thought, highly relevant to bring this forward in a a timely fashion. And hopefully it will spark you to think some of the same thoughts that I did and and sort of digging through how you are approaching virtual training and question whether or not you are actually preparing for these eight personas to make an appearance in your virtual training classes. So without further ado, the eight personas that were identified in this article, the first was Gaslighter. And in context of a virtual learner persona, the gaslighter really demonstrates that they are seeking to share a false narrative that could make learners actually question their own knowledge or even the content being presented. Now, if left unattended to, the gaslighter persona can ultimately lead to others losing their voice in the session, um, causing all of your learners to retreat because they are starting to feel more self-doubt, maybe much less confident in their bank of knowledge that they showed up with. And so um, definitely one to watch out for. We also have the ghost persona, um, usually considered highly disengaged. And sometimes this is just an assumption that we're making, but the reason they're referred to as the ghost is that this persona is often showing up with the camera off, the microphone muted, and rarely, if ever, interacts with polls or chats or any other interaction you may have. Then we have the multitasker persona. Now, I'm going to tell you flat out in full transparency, this one is me. It's a habit I try to break, but it's it's the persona that I identify with the most out of all of these. The multitasker, as you may guess, is likely working while they're in the virtual training session. 
So there's a good chance you're going to notice a break in eye contact, or it looks like they might be scanning a whole wide range of things instead of paying attention to the one area. So keep a watch over the visual cues as they might appear to be looking elsewhere, or might even be distracted and not able to quickly answer or respond if you call upon them. Then we have the noob as our fourth persona. Uh, the noob is likely new to virtual training experiences and because of this is likely to remain quiet and may even require some extra support for navigating the environment and the tools. Uh, the thing to note about the noob overall is that it's highly likely this person will improve in their competency in navigating and engaging with the tools over time. So they won't be a noob forever. Uh, the fifth of the personas that was brought forward is the influencer. Now the influencer can be a powerful ally. They can really help influence people to participate and to engage, but we have to be very mindful that the influencer persona can also derail things by using their influence for a show of personal knowledge and or um, intentionally or unintentionally marginalizing the other participants. So really kind of hogging the spotlight, the microphone, and more time um, in active engagement. The sixth persona that the article talked about was the keyboard warrior. Oftentimes, the keyboard warrior persona is only engaging through written interactions and more specifically, you see a higher volume if there is any way that they can mask their identity. Um, so being able to do things like changing their name, their display name on Zoom can help them have a bit of anonymity so it doesn't actually show who it is that is pounding out there on that keyboard, um, pushing things into the chat or the environment. The seventh persona that was spotlighted is the technophobe. And uh, this one, as you may guess, has more of a fear or a very high level of discomfort in interacting with the technology. Um, so they will demonstrate some of the same characteristics as the noob. Um, the biggest difference is that the noob is likely to evolve past that status and the technophobe may not. The technophobe may carry high anxiety and high stress as it relates to adopting new tools and as a result may hold out for as long as possible. And then the eighth and final persona that was brought forward in the article is known as the Zoombie. These are your attendees, your learners who are at Zoom fatigue, usually attending back-to-back -back meetings and video conferences. So they're likely to know the information, they're likely to participate, but just will display a, a lower level of energy, motivation, and ultimately a lower level of concentration. Um, so might get, I would say, moderate interaction toward the beginning of the session, and that will drop off very quickly and sustain over the duration of the training session. Now, as I mentioned, um, in total, not necessarily new information, but bringing it to light in context of these personas was, was fascinating. Um, I found myself recognizing all of these personas from various webinars and virtual training events that I've been participating in for the last 18 to 24 months. Um, I have seen an increase in several of these personas in the last six months that I maybe haven't seen in all of the years prior. This 
re-emphasizes the need for a wide range of best practices that we should all be considering relative to our virtual training experiences. And then the same can be also said for your in-person training, um, but just think about how you can translate for the in-person. So uh, from here, I'd like to share a few tips that the article brought forward in consideration for addressing these personas, but also some tips that I personally have found to be effective in my journey through virtual training delivery. First and foremost, you have to prepare. And by preparing, I mean much more than just showing up with the content and ready to deliver. It's taking the extra steps ahead of time to think through how you might engage and mitigate any of the challenges that these personas might present to your training content. Uh, make sure that you have variations accounted for so that you can pivot and flex to meet the styles of your learning population. It's not, it's worth saying that maybe we shouldn't assume all eight of these personas will be present in every session, but we should give time and attention in our preparation to thinking through how we can respond should one of these personas make themselves known. We need to build in different types of interaction and engagement. Consider using things like polls and quizzes and whiteboards and reactions to engage your learners more anonymously or quietly. Additionally, find ways to drive them to the chat to enter some kind of a response, like maybe a, a fill in the blank or show a picture and have them caption this um, as alternative ways to keep them engaged beyond just asking them to come off of mute or to vocalize their interaction. Sometimes it's as simple as just having a two to five second break or change in the experience or the cadence. It can really, really impact engagement. We should also strive to make sure we have regular interactions throughout the duration of the training session. There's no magic number that I've been able to find in all of my research. Um, meaning it's it's not necessarily formulaic to say if you have a 30-minute training session, you should have approximately two interactions per three minutes. Um, but just try to make sure there's consistent interaction and that there's a variation in the types of interactions to keep your learners on their toes and, and to keep it fresh. We also need to try really hard to avoid the cognitive overload potential. And this is something that we can all stand to hear over and over and over again. Sometimes we fight, we, we have to fight this urge. We know we've got a captive audience for a specific period of time, and it becomes a challenge to figure out how much can we get in while we have them here. Instead, Consider how to keep your learners from feeling overwhelmed by the amount of information and the types of information being pushed at them. Sometimes it is as simple as rethinking how you put information on screen using more images versus words. Now there is science and data that proves that visuals are higher impact in the learning journey and usually strike higher retention as opposed to a lot of text and bullets. Maybe think about sectioning the information and creating breaks, active breaks in the content for interactions to make it easier for learners to transition from one step or one part of the topic to the next. Even if all the content is related, 
it's all laddering up to the same theme, break it into chunks or sections. It helps the human brain digest the information a little more readily and easily. Also remember the ever important white space guidance when we think about presentation styles. Try to aim for at least 25% white space on the slide, more is better. Um, this helps the learner really stay focused on the non-white space. Uh, when you have a, a slide that is filled with a whole lot of text and bullets, your learners are gonna get very distracted. Uh, most of them are going to find themselves reading everything while instead of listening to you. Um, and that may result in a break in engagement or it may interrupt the flow that you have built. From here, um, a couple of tips relative to technical strategies in the virtual environment. If possible, bring a producer role into all of your virtual training experiences. This person can help manage the technical issues. They can help with the muting learners that may be uh, bringing a lot of background noise. They can help with managing distractions and so much more, which allows you to just focus on the delivery of the content and maximizing the engagement with your learners. The producer role is something that has really started to get a lot more recognition in the L&D conversations over the last 18 months. As someone who has been the one-man show for quite some time in a virtual world, I've gotten pretty good at producing and managing engagement. However, I can tell you that anytime I've had the blessing of being able to leverage a producer or a co-facilitator that can serve in that producer role, I cannot even begin to tell you how grateful I am for the relief it gives me from having to manage the chat, manage the polls, manage uh, keeping watch over who's muted, who's not muted, where the background information might be coming from or the background noise, um, as well as remembering who's where and who's on mute, who I just called on let the producer handle some of that stuff so you can really just focus on delivering the content and engaging the learners. With that being said, do not be afraid to harness your powers of managing the mute. Um, it can be uh, it can be tempting to start your session and automatically hit that mute everyone button. Um, one of the things that that will do early in your session is really stifle engagement. People observe that you've put everybody on mute, which means you do not want us to talk. And then it makes it a little more uncomfortable to break the silence when you do want us to talk. So consider maybe opening the conversation, letting people have full control of the mute, but then in the event you do start to hear background noise or you start getting some distractions, leverage that producer to help you manage the mute. Um, annotation controls. This is another thing that has come up even more and more in the last, let's say, year, as our virtual tools have started to bring forward so many more options with regard to the annotation tools. Now, it's a slippery slope. It is fantastic to open them up and to call attention to how they work so people understand what they are, how they work, and when you need them to leverage these tools. Just be on the watch out because it can devolve very quickly into people who are just being funny by continuing to annotate when the session doesn't call for it, continuing to draw on the screen and put those little stamps everywhere well past the exercise that actually called for it. Again, having a producer on hand can really help 
um, manage this and keep it from distracting the entire learning class. Now, also, um, where possible, think about encouraging some creativity with the use of virtual backgrounds. This is particularly beneficial to the experience when your audience is comprised primarily of desk workers that are used to engaging with tools like Zoom on the regular. Um, so think about ways that maybe virtual backgrounds can become an active participant in the experience and how you can leverage that for added engagement. Um, also, as the virtual facilitator, be ready, willing, and able to lead the celebrations after contributions are made. Um, and this, in, in an in-person environment, this usually sounds like that's a really great question or thank you so much for that feedback where we acknowledge that someone has interacted or responded. In a virtual world, um, let's resort to maybe using some of those tools like reactions. Um, take the time to acknowledge when your learners are contributing by giving them that virtual pat on the back. Not everybody likes to be called out by name. In fact, it may cause some of your learners to retreat from um, actively contributing if you signal them out and say, Matthew, great job. So consider leveraging your reactions to give them that virtual clap or that thumbs up, some other cue that lets them know you heard them and you appreciate them. This also sends some interesting signals that can unfreeze your technophobes and even your noobs to uh, exploring the interactions. And lastly, always give clear, explicit instructions. Try to, as much as possible, help your learners know when a task is coming up, when there is something they need to focus on and remember, and why. And call attention to these very specific moments so that they can follow along with your script. Um, try to always ask for a response instead of commanding a response. It's very valuable to those that might be a little more standoffish, maybe a little more shy. Um, inviting people to contribute goes a lot further than calling people by name, forcing them into that uncomfortable situation. Breakout rooms, another great tool to use in the technical landscape where it makes sense. It's really great for helping people feel comfortable and to increase the level of engagement for those that may not be as comfortable talking in the larger group. Breakout rooms can offer really great space for practice and even for deeper level discussions. Just make sure you provide some very specific instructions on what to expect, how to engage, and tell them they don't even have to worry about finding their way back to the main session because you'll be able to return them back when the time is up. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, uh, virtual training in and of itself is not new and it is here to stay. And we as a learning and development community will have to be constantly looking to hone and refine and sharpen our skills and techniques to maximize learning impact, engagement, and overall effectiveness in a virtual world.